The Athletic. Delhi, congratulations on the move to Everton. How do you feel about Hello. the deal? Yeah, no, I'm very excited. Um, bit tired, it's been a long day, but uh, we got there in the end and yeah, I'm delighted. So uh, I just want to be happy playing football and you know, I'm excited to go there and show the fans what I can do and help the club as much as I can. Hello everybody and welcome to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined the podcast today by Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore, both of course uh, stalwarts of The Athletic, to reflect on what turned out to be an incredibly busy transfer day for Spurs. Their deadline day was particularly mad. Let's talk about um, the actual day, then we'll get on to what Spurs have done with their squad. Charlie, obviously incredibly busy yesterday. Were you expecting so much stuff to get done? Yeah, I mean, by by the start of the day, the two arrivals were, we knew they were going to happen. And then of the departures, Ndombele had been more or less done the night before. Hill, we knew was going to happen. Lo Celso, um, my information was that there was a very good chance it would happen. And then Delhi was the one where there'd been, I mean, we knew from, I think we first reported it in early to mid-December that that was one that Spurs hoped would happen in the window. But obviously... As it went on, we weren't really hearing of particularly concrete interest. So that was the one maybe there was a bit more of a doubt. But by about lunchtime, we started to hear that Everton were making moves. And actually, what I was always told at the start of the window was that, you know, there'd be scope for one to come in, maybe two, but then anything above and beyond that would be reliant on moving people out, which is sort of what came to pass. I mean, I guess some might feel that there were too many outgoings in relation to incomings. Um, but I think overall it's about the window we expected, but minus the right wing back, which was you know always one of the big uh, big targets for Spurs this window. I think each one of the outgoings is, is interesting in its own different way. And I should make the point at this stage, uh, before we hear from James, that uh, Jack Pitbrook would normally have joined us uh, today, but he's so upset about the departure of Ndombele <laughs> that he's taken to the bed. <laughs> Um, so you know his great favourite, but that, of course Jack's uh, actually gone I'm, beyond that. He's now just like I'm not. He's like lost. He's disappointed. He's just been let down. It's like once bitten, twice shy. <laughs> I mean, although of course with the uh, with the idea that Leon might pay fifty odd million yeah. euros for him, even if he play, even if he plays like Pele, of course, um, come June the first or whatever they, they they start training again or whatever that they, they, that will be. He'll be there in the car park uh, at Spurs Lodge um, with, with some camembert and Bordeaux that he's brought back from his adventures and little souvenirs for everybody. James, you, I can see you're pawing the ground slightly, getting ready to go. Were you excited yesterday by the incomings which we knew about and the outgoings or what, what would be your reaction? I wouldn't say I was excited. I mean, the two, the two incomings, I guess, we knew about by the time yes. uh, Monday morning had rolled around. I should point out at this stage that I did guarantee didn't I last week that Spurs would sign two players before the deadline I just just want to just want to put that out there that is what I said when everyone was flapping last week I did say that they would sign that's two players, why so you're on the big fine. bucks isn't it that, let's be honest the, uh, well sort of I mean whether or not they're two players that play in positions where Spurs were desperate for reinforcements I mean I think they're both good players I've not seen loads of either of them really Ben Tankero, I remember running a game for Juventus in the Champions League at Old Trafford, maybe like 2018, when Mourinho was still at Manchester United. And, and he was absolutely incredible in that game. 
And the comparison I drew yesterday was with, I think Moussa Dembele ran a game at Old Trafford for Fulham shortly before he joined Spurs. Obviously, the gap there is is much smaller. I'm not comparing him as a player to Moussa Dembele or... Uh, or even, you know, suggesting he's going to be as successful at Tottenham. But it is, you know, it's interesting that uh, that's an interesting comparison to draw. Anyway, <sighs> I, I don't. I, I suspect all fans of all teams always think this after every single transfer window. But my feeling is that Spurs have left themselves one short. Benzema, when I was looking at the highlights reel, you know, he's mobile. He gets box to box. But the thing that that, that really was highlighted in it was the amount of uh, tackles he makes. He has a very high percentage of interceptions. I think he's a good player. And of course, I also like Uruguayans. They're my favourite kinds of footballs, even in a world where all kinds of brutality has been uh, outlawed. They tend to like a row in a football match, which will do me fine. But Benton Coe, he goes to ground a tremendous amount of times. He often wins the ball with the second of two legs that he's thrown into tackles. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that he's reckless. He isn't. Um, It looks like it's a skill that he's developed. I just hope that Premier League referees are going to tolerate the way he goes in for the football. The interesting thing, and it was said by one of our colleagues in the WhatsApp, so uh, I can't even reveal which. There's a reason for that. I can't remember. How weird and how wonderful in in a world where six weeks ago, Harry Winks was on his way out. He has now outlasted... Spurs' record signing, a £40 million signing, and Deli Alley, who I checked on transfer marked after the World Cup three years ago, was valued at just under €100 million. Euros. The H. Winks um, is the chosen one of all of those players. If, 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 if we're assuming that they're going to play 3-4-3, for instance, who is Spurs' central midfield two now, Charlie? I mean, I think in the in the vaguely medium term, you'd say Skip and Bentancur. I mean, I don't... Bentancur and um, Hoybier feel fairly similar. I mean, they're both... They're there to give a platform to the more exciting, attacking, flary players. You know, they both like a tackle. Both work extremely hard. Skip's probably the slightly more progressive out of those three. But obviously, you know, it may depend as well on the system because there is a situation in which three of those players that we've mentioned could play and or uh, Winks as well. But I imagine he'll have to come in and be seen at least to earn the spot, given that Hoybier and Skip have been a good partnership together. I, I know there have been you know some reservations with them, but generally in the league, they have been pretty good and results have been good. But it, it will be interesting because... Yeah, you, you kind of assume a new signing goes straight in. And I think like he is, he, he's not an exciting signing in the sense that he's going to come and do mad skills and get fans off their seats. But I think fans will really appreciate his attitude, his commitment, how hard he works. You know, these are the sort of things that generally fans do warm to. So I think he'll be um, accepted by the fan base quite quickly. Yeah, I was, when you, of course you say when you say get the fans off their seat, there are quite a number of seats where there are no fans currently at Spurs. So hopefully, get fans onto um, some seats. Yeah, get some fans onto the seats. James, sorry, these questions are occurring to me as we go along. I've got to phrase this neutrally. What did you make of the fact that after seven months of planning, Paratici actually turns up two players <laughs> from the only club he appears to know in European football? Um, it is pretty damning, isn't it? And as you say, it's not. It, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just a, it is full stop. Yeah, and obviously, as you say, you quite rightly point out, it's not just, you know, that it was at the end of his transfer window and he'd had a month to, to solve these yeah. problems. Obviously, yeah. he's been in the job since June, the start of June, and still kind of scrambling around for players. I mean, I guess, I, I suppose what I would say in his defence, 
would be that it's better to have those contacts and to be able to go to that well than it is not and to have ended up with nobody. If they've ended up with two good players out of it, then it, then mm. obviously it's fine. And we know fairly conclusively that they were working their way down the list and that perhaps those two were not the two first choice players at the start of the month or even the start of last week. So no, it does it does look it does look bad and I suspect he he was kind of fairly reluctant to to go back there in his first kind of mid season transfer window cap in hand with can can we have a couple of your cast offs please because I don't imagine it's between a particularly good look for him in Italy from what I gather there has been there has been a fair bit of uh, mocking in the Italian press in the last sort of forty eight hours or so funding uh, their Vlajevic signing but but look I mean if 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 what Spurs have done here in taking these two players has helped Juventus sign Vlahovic and stopped Arsenal signing him, then it's win-win, right? It, it could be an act of transfer genius akin to Newcastle signing Chris Wood from Burnley and denying Burnley their best centre-forward until they signed someone better for less money yesterday. So I, I, I don't know. May, maybe it'll work out for the best that Arsenal are now without a centre-forward. It's certainly not as good as Vlahovic. Yeah, we, we, it's not the purpose of this podcast. We could get into the Aubameyang transfer, which was one of the absolute genius things that went on yesterday and was was a madness. Now, I just want to get your view on Paratici, um having the kind of Juventus players in his back pocket in case <laughs> everything else went wrong, which takes us on to Dejan uh, Kuliszewski. And this, is an inter- this one is the one that's really interesting to me because it could mean, let's just take it that he's a very, very good footballer. And I, I know more about him and I've seen more of him than I have of Rodolfo, as I'm going to learn to call him. And it strikes me, Charlie, that again, there's, there's, some, there's some weirdness here in this, in that, in, in that he, he likes to start from the right and play onto his left foot. And I, I can see already Kuliszewski goal. Now, maybe Conte will try and change him, where the ball breaks loose mm-hmm. on the left-hand corner of the penalty area and he curls the ball inside the far post. He's done it. That is the goal yeah. that he tends to get. Although he's a big, strong fellow and he scored with his, with his head on occasion as well for Juventus. But he's now competing in the, the way Spurs are currently lined up. And he's competing with both Steven Bergwijn and Lucas Moura for a place. They, they've kind of doubled up in a position where they are already reasonably well supplied, if you, if you believe in either of those two players. I, I will say this. The Lucas Diaz thing, which made Spurs look a bit silly, in one way I'm almost glad because he likes to play on the left, mm. cutting on, on his right foot, exactly where Son wants to play. So all of this makes me think, and I'm about to take both of your views on this, this is some kind of way of releasing Son. The plan seems to be to make Son a second striker, or the first striker, if Kane, since they won't sign a striker to go with Kane, in case Harry goes lame for any length of time. I'm not sure that, they had, that he was the most wanted player, the most necessary positional player, James. I mean, they need the right wing back, don't they? They need, they need a player with that defensive capability in that sort of positional now. So that, that's the position they need. I don't think they need another forward player now. You know, I, I, If you're asking me where Kulazewski is going to play, I have absolutely no idea. Because in the piece no. Charlie wrote yesterday, or that's gone up this morning, it mentions that his favourite position is number 10. Now, obviously in that system, that could kind of work, playing behind Kane and Son. But I, you look at the way Harry Kane plays now. Mm. I don't know you necessarily want a number 10 playing behind those two. You might, you want a creative midfield player, definitely, somewhere in a team. But I don't think you want a, a number 10 playing off of the front two. You need someone a bit deeper than that to move the ball around, I think. Yeah, I mean, he is very versatile, which hopefully will help. Uh, yeah, that would be one option, but I, I think that's a good point that Kane... Yeah, you, you want an eight, 
a progressive midfielder and Ericsson, someone like that, rather than uh, number 10 necessarily behind oh, Kane. Oh, Christian yeah. Ericsson. <laughs> well, more on him later. Um, but I think him, yeah, competing with that right right wing position with Mora is, is likely to happen. I mean, someone mentioned it on my, uh, under the article, um, and apologies, I forget the name in the comments, could, and, you know, posing the question, could Mora then drop back as the right wing back and, you know, sort of kill two birds with one stone? I mean, th- this is something I've been asking about whether Mora or Bergvine a bit had, you know, were earmarked for that. And the answer I always got was no. Whether that will change, I don't know. But, you know, the, the fact that Conte wanted Traore, I think has probably given people hope or the seed of that idea that could Mora do a similar job. But hopefully as well, Kulusevsky with that left foot will provide a bit of balance. Um, I mean, I know they had Hill in the squad, but he never got any Premier League game time. So that that is something that could could work well. And yeah, I, I included in the piece, Danny, a number of grabs of him scoring that goal because it is funny watching his goals that it is such a... A trademark. It's often a loose ball, and his anticipation is clearly very good because he's just, he has the knack of being there, sort of on the edge of the box. And a bit like, I mean, I'm going to make a really odd comparison, a bit like Tom Huddleston, the loose ball is controlled and hit with the same one movement. And, and it's clearly a very, if you can get it going in the Premier League, it's a very handy goal to get. It's a sweep, isn't it? It is. It's, like, it's the Huddleston sweep from from you know, in this case, 16 yards rather than 36 hmm. yards. The, the Adam Traore thing has got me so befuddled. I don't see him as a right wing back in a million years. And so in some ways, it's not a, a bullet dodged with, with Traore. I, I, I like the fact that he's so incredibly quick. But, you know, that, that's that's in the past now. I mean, I thought, he's not going to play Kulusevski as a right wing back, is he? No. I'm now driven to a, well, a the, po- point the of The interesting madness. thing with that is Kulusevski didn't move to Conte's Inter because he didn't see a place for him in the 3-5-2 as was then played because he didn't see himself as a wing-back. And Conte yeah. wasn't playing with the 10 as such. So, I, I mean, obviously things can change, but I, I think that would be quite a, a strange use of him. Especially as he likes to cut in and you very rarely have inverted wing-backs, apart from that day against Morecambe when Conte went with Sessegnon and <laughs> Doherty on the, uh, in that role, but probably not to be reprised. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that we'll come on to. The, 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 uh, when we, after the break, when we talk about the shape of Spurs' squad now, the fact that they are wedded, it seems, to, to wing-backs and have not one that I think he really, really trusts will be making an interesting second half of the season. Look, it is an extraordinary thing. Two Juventus players come in and, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased about both of them. I think they, they can provide some things that the team currently doesn't have, but... For a club the size of Spurs to have such a major outgoings on the last day of a transfer window, I mean, I realise that it's part of not just um, ringing up his old mates at Juventus and getting a couple of players, and that part of Peretti's job was to console Antonio Conte's relentlessness and ruthlessness by getting rid of the players he thinks are just not going to get a go. But to see the departure of, as, as I said a little earlier, Tottenham's record signing until they got Romero in their second highest signing in, in La Celso, a twenty million pound kid uh, in Brian Hill and Deli Alley, who for whatever reason was uh, not so long ago a player as valued as highly as anybody in the Premier League. Just about they all went on the same afternoon. I, mean, I know the deals have been percolating. It's an extraordinary outgoing out of the club. What did you make of? Make of that, James, and we'll talk about the individuals. But first of all, it's just the idea that almost all the creativity in the club has been cleared out in in, in a twelve-hour period. I mean, you say that, but 
Uh, those four players, I mean, I think, uh, and I did do the maths, but foolishly, and now haven't got that, that calculation with me. But the number of players, they, the number of minutes they played in the Premier League this season was minimal. I think, I, I think only a couple of thousand between the four of them. So I, I wouldn't say that's like a massive loss in terms of what we've seen in terms of output this season from those players. And, and you know, you mentioned the creativity, and in theory, you would say that was true. But again, how many assists have those players had? I don't know. You know, in fewer minutes, it's less likely, but. Lo Celso hasn't had hasn't created too many goals in his time with Tottenham. Deli Ali has been scoring and creating far fewer goals in the last couple of seasons. Hill, we've I mean we've really not seen enough of to know either way. So it's only really in Dombele who, as we've talked about extensively over the last two years, is erratic at best. So and probably not a player you can rely on, particularly not if you try and play the kind of football that Conte does. So actually, maybe in that sense, it's not. As, as big a loss. And actually, the problem I would probably have a bit more was just in terms of the numbers. You know, you lose for ostensibly attacking players from your squad and bring in one, which is kind of what's happened. You know, having talked about the number of minutes they played, mm -hmm. perhaps you would expect Kulusevski to kind of tot up that on his own in the second half of the season. But it, it doesn't work like that realistically, does it? You know, they have a midweek cup replay or you know an injury or you want to rotate the midweek league game or whatever it's going to be difficult or even just making substitutions within a game it's going to be difficult now if you, if you go through position by position if you if you talk about a three four three and lay that out yeah but what you think the first 11 is in the team and i think sure from what we were saying about the midfield we'd all broadly agree on what that was then put the next lot of players beneath that i mean you're still talking about having Tanganga in that second tier. And I think we were kind of all broadly in agreement last week that perhaps it would be best for him to kind of step away and go out on loan and play regularly, not for Tottenham. And you still don't have a backup striker. So your only attacking backups will be Lucas and Bergwijn, I think. There's, there isn't anyone else. and Maybe you include Dane Scarlett, I guess. But there's still like a real lack. Of, you know, Spurs, but everyone's fit, everyone's available. You put your best 11 players on the pitch and name nine substitutes as you can now in the Premier League. Bergwijn and Lucas are the only two players you can be able to look at and say they can change a game. And I just think that's what I worry about. If we get to the end of the season and Spurs, you know, you're in the battle for top four and you need to win more or less every game in the last sort of 10 or whatever. If you want to change a game, I'm just not sure they're going to have the flexibility to do that. That that could be quite a big problem, I think. And again, it brings us back to the same problem with goal scorers. Because I don't think no. Kulusevski is like a he, he, goal scorer. He chipped in, I think, with seven in all comps for Juve last season, something like that. I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, this it it does all go back as well to the either upside or downside of not being in Europe. Because if Spurs were still in Europe, then I just don't think they could have gone on the cleanse of their squad that they did yesterday. You, you just can't go into the second half of the season where you're playing two games a week every week with the sort of options they have and it, and it is funny because they do have you, you can do a second team and there are basically there's a there's cover in every position apart from Kane so there are there are you know there's a squad of 21 players who we recognize as you know fairly experienced first team players but James is right when you put it like that that is not a ton of alternative attacking options and all you'd need is you know, one injury to any of the, their five attackers, and then all of a sudden you've only got one option to change the game. I do, I do wonder though if the you know they're not being in Europe will allow them to get away with that almost because if they're only playing once a week, and obviously we don't know what's going to happen in the FA Cup. You know, they could go deep in that, or they could go out to Brighton on on the weekend. And if they go out to Brighton on Saturday, then all of a sudden you're thinking, hold on, 
we don't really have that many games left this season. So we can probably get away without having a massive squad and not just get away with a massive squad. It's actually beneficial not to have a massive squad because you're then going to have Delhi, Lo Celso and Dombele who already weren't playing, completely stagnating, their value going down and that not really being any good for anyone. There's so much stuff that we still need to talk about. We can't get into this and maybe we'll do it on a later podcast. Um, I do think the departure of all those players in different ways is... Uh, because I don't want to be accused of uh, just backing up the property development side of the club, which is now the, the favourite sore of, of, <laughs> of, of, dis, of malcontents um, on, 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 on social media. But it is a that small indictment. That has become indictment. the new most expensive tickets in the country, hasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. The, it's, uh, but it, it is an indictment of the recruitment policy and, of course, the individual players not getting, uh, not getting either the club getting stuff out of them or them getting stuff out of themselves to see all those players depart in one go. But the one that really catches the eye, of course, in two separate ways, one, the structure of the deal, and the second, just the fact that if you had told me after the semi-final of the World Cup back in Russia that Dele Alli would one day not only not be a Spurs player, I could see that because maybe Real Madrid would come in for him, but that he would be almost forced out of the club and the club would be prepared to to put together the most extraordinarily weird deal just to get him away from the football club. I'd have been amazed, I mean, without using the word legacy, I'm banning it from the, uh, not just from the podcast, but from the English language. Don't let me write that down. That's actually banned now. I mean, That's your legacy. Yeah, what do you make, uh, what do you make James, of, of, of Deli Ali's departure? Uh, I'm absolutely gutted. Gen- genuinely really, really gutted. I, think, I, I actually think this might be the most, the most upset I've been about a player leaving Tottenham because usually when like a, a when a good player leaves or a player who's made a big contribution to the club leaves, they're they're going to like Manchester United or Real Madrid or whoever for loads of money. Yes. So one, you have the mm. consolation of there being a lot of money, and usually in those circumstances, immediately a player replacing them, even if it's you know Fraser Campbell or whoever. Um, <laughs> and two, you also you can also console yourself with the best emotion, which is anger. And you can be really salty about, you know, Dimitar Berbatov going to Manchester United in his crap jeans or Modric going to Madrid. You can kind of be like annoyed at the other club and annoyed at the player and the agent or whatever. You can kind of, you have that aggression, you have that release of being annoyed about it and the possibility of being able to give him a bit of sticker the next game or whatever. Sure. But this time around, it's just the only emotion is just complete sadness that this guy who completely encapsulated everything that was good about and probably bad about that Pochettino era. Uh, you know the, the fact that Deli Ali has seemed so kind of human and flawed. It has made him so relatable that you, uh, you just like uh, in the difficult times. I think Spurs fans have wanted to defend him so much, and I think I saw someone to describe him as like being like a little brother on Twitter yesterday, and that really sums it up. Like you feel like you want to look out for him, and the idea that he's gone to Everton, they're not going to look out for him. No, they're not. They're not mm. It's not going to be the same. <laughs> they're not going to care about him like we did. <laughs> I, 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 I just, it just, it's just so bleak and so sad, and. It, it, even if you ignore how good he was as a player, like what his, what his destiny should have been as a player, and it should have been to go to Real Madrid for a hundred million quid. Yeah, just as a as a bloke, you know. And I, I think everyone knows he's not had like the or hasn't had the easiest life, you know. Particularly pre football, you know, he would have had to work incredibly hard and gone through real difficulty to just to become, just to get to MK Dons. And you know, on the face of that, he's had an amazing career even up to now uh, to get to a World Cup semi final and a Champions League final and score all these goals and be PFA Young Player of the Year twice and play 35, 40 games for England or whatever it is. But you know, he's not won a trophy with Tottenham. His career seemingly is on a sort of downwards trajectory at the age of 25, 26. And it's just, 
it's just really deflating. I think I, I I find it really really sad. And I hope you know. I hope I, I hope he rediscovers his mojo and is incredibly good. Even if that ends up being at Spurs' expense, I'd rather it happen than not. Yeah. But it is I, honestly, I I can't think of a a player leaving Spurs that has just like made me as sad as this. Like singularly sad. No other emotions. Just sad. It was very hard for me to keep my 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 mouth zipped there because uh, yours were that you want to jump in and, and agree with people. But that was a beautiful exposition of let's be honest, textbook grief, and people will be using that, James, in 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 future seminars about how to deal with people who are grieving. And I must say, Charlie, without turning this into um, Spurs fans crying uh, about Delhi, I, I I agree with just about every word of that. Um, it just it's just so as well as sad, bewildering mm. um, that a, a sportsman or any creative person could come off of uh, such a peak, just a, a real shocking shame that this fantastic talent, um, he's 25 years of age. It's not like we've watched him decline into the twilight of his athletic life. Um, he's, he should be heading towards the peak of it. Just adding to the, the sort of sadness element, it does speak to the very little confidence they appear to have in him turning things around. I don't I don't think they think this is a deal they're going to be burnt on. I think realistically, for the last couple of years, it's felt like um, you know, his best days were behind him, which as I said, which as you say, feels extraordinary because he is so young. But I do think players develop at different points of their career. You look at Wayne Rooney, Fernando Torres, their peak years were 1826, Michael Owen was another one. You could even say a bit earlier for some of those three. Other players, you know, peak a lot later. Deli Ali looks as though he's going to be someone whose peak years were earlier. And that that is it's a real shame and, and there's a strangeness to that because then you're seeing a decline and stagnation that is confusing and hard to process. And also some players have ups and downs, but it's it's probably pretty rare. And I can't think of many precedents, if, if any, of someone who burst onto the scene and then started declining and then kind of picked it up. And I guess the sort of vaguely unprecedented nature of that is why Spurs feel fairly confident in this deal. But just just on the point about him going for free as well, I mean, I remember when Philippe Coutinho went for 142 million, which again, feels like another world in January 2018. Yeah. And there were debates, well, how much is Deli Alley worth then? Because Spurs fans would have wanted Deli Alley over Philippe Coutinho at that point. I think everyone would have said, well, Deli will go for a similar amount to Real Madrid. And the idea then that four years on, as you say, he's going for nothing is just utterly extraordinary. And if you're being, I mean, James said earlier, he he represents the best, but also the worst of the Pochettino era. And I guess in that sense, he does represent the worst because he's probably the one in which they've they've lost out the most money for. And there are lots of examples of those we know from the Pochettino era that should have been sold, but he's probably the most potent example of that. If we're saying, you know, in an era of 142 million signings, he's then going for nothing. And I should say, uh, and I hope James will back me on this, for the Spurs fans, though, of course, the other the, the two important words here are thank you. Because some of the things he did when he was good was so fantastic. And he was such a brilliant part of when the Spurs squad seemed very happy together, you know, mm. him and Eric Dyer literally yeah. appearing inseparable. I'd, I'd just say thank you to the fella because it, whatever whatever part he himself has played in his decline, I, I don't know. I, I tend to try and think optimistically about things. And I'll remember, you know, the two goals against Chelsea, the headers on the far post. You just think, how did they get that? I also think, and this is not a place, again, we haven't the time to crush all this stuff in. 
I think the, the tactical world changes. He is not a midfielder. He is not a striker. And once everybody bought into one up front, which of course is just starting to change again now, he had no position because he's not a proper midfielder and he's certainly not a, you know, a first striker. He's that buzzing around off the centre forward person. And it, it just that, that position disappeared from professional football with the exception of perhaps Dybala. And even he doesn't like it because he wants to play up front. Mm. And he can at least play out wide. I've always thought Delhi's big mm-hmm. problem is he can't play as a wide forward and most teams play in a 4-3-3 or a variant. Okay, let me ask you then um, a question that... Uh, and I, w- I wish in some ways that Jack was here because I think there's, there's a tiny, tiny ray of hope for him here. These players that have gone away, I mean, obviously uh, Ali's gone. Uh, Brian Hill will come back. He's young and hopefully he'll have a, a good time, play a few games in Spain. Do you think Ndombele or Lo Celso will ever wear the white shirt of the mighty Tottenham Hotspur again? Depends on the manager. I think while Conte's there, if, if he's there going into next season, I can't imagine him wanting to have Ndombele in the squad unless Ndombele pledges to make some pretty drastic changes in order to appease him. Lo Celso, then there may be a way back. I think if he went away and had a good loan and you know came back and really applied himself, then I think that then I think he'd have half a chance. Personally, I, I think you know Conte wants them gone. They're probably gone, but because we've seen this a million times, players come back from loans and, and, and have to be re- reintegrated or something. Well, look, look, and Dumbele isn't going to join. Despite the conversation we just had about Dali Ali, and Dombele isn't going to join Leon in the summer, is he? No, on a permanent transfer. Lacelso very well might join Villarreal. So, of the two of them, you'd say and Dombele is probably more likely to play for Spurs again. I have no idea how that's going to pan out. I mean, obviously, they will be desperately hoping that Ndombele kind of turns it on and he goes back to his hometown club. Are they actually his hometown club? His former club, anyway. No, he's been, he, was, uh, he, was at two, he, was, he was at two clubs before that, including Gingong. However you pronounce Gingong, he was there, wasn't he? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully he kind of goes back to France and turns it on and, and someone stupid like Barcelona decides to <laughs> do their load on him over the summer. But yeah, Lo Celso, I think... I think very pre- he's very, the one very I think prettily just... put, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lo Celso, I just think, will end up joining Villarreal. His career has been full of like going on loan somewhere and then joining permanently, including at Spurs. So I think he did that with Betis before that. So I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he just ends up going there for a fairly big loss in terms of the transfer fee for Spurs. And Dombele, I think it's way harder to, to say or to see that he, he's going to go to Lyon. I just, I just can't but see They could just loan him out next basis. season again, do like a season-long loan. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he does have admirers, you know, football people for all the sort of amazing flibbity-gibbitiness of the business. They also have <laughs> memories that convince them that something can be done. And, you know, his two performances for Lyon against Manchester City in the Champions League, they're stuck in people's minds. Mm. They think yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this is a person who can beat the best, mm. arguably the best team in the world. Look, I mean, look, he's had the, uh, good moments in the Premier League with Tottenham even this season. If you look at that through ball mm. to Kane in the Liverpool game, which is an amazing pass. But I don't think you can look at half a season for a player who costs 50 million quid and say that, that one pass is enough to, to justify it. That goal at Newcastle. But you're right. Uh, p- p- you know, uh, and again, you go back to the Deli Ali thing. You know, Deli Ali hasn't hasn't really looked like a Premier League footballer for the last sort of eighteen months or so, and yet a big Premier League club with a new manager have immediately gone in and got totally. him on the manager's first day because, because they remember Deli him Ali as well. All of this yeah. stuff mm-hmm. before. So you know, the principle is the same. 
We'll take a quick break in a completely unbalanced show. It's not the second half, it's the second fifth of the show. We'll talk about, in the round, what Spurs have done. It's been a really, for everybody, I think, a fascinating transfer window. And we'll try to sum up where Spurs are following, well, the amazing events of the, of the last couple of days. Now you listen to James Moore and Charlie Eccleshay and The View from the Lane. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, welcome back everybody to The View from the Lane. I mean, I'll ask both of you straight away. It, it, because of the sadness over, over the departure of Delhi Alley, which could be balanced, of course, by people like me who have lost all faith in, in both La Celso and in Domble, uh dancing in the street, have Spurs where 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 are, <laughs> have Spurs uh, won the window? How, yeah, have they won the internet? Are <laughs> they are they better placed than they were at the start of it? Yeah, I think so. They've, I mean, well, the problem is obviously how how do we know that because we don't know how good Benson Kerr and uh, Kudelski are going to be. Looking at them vaguely objectively, I think they're two good additions who will improve the squad. And then you're losing players who have made a negligible impact so far this season. You're you're losing the potential that one of those four who's gone away might do something that we haven't really seen any ev- or much evidence of this season. So they are in a stronger position. Whether they're in a strong enough position in Conte and supporters' eyes is another question. But yeah, they're, they're better than where they were, I think, on January 1st. 
I mean, part of that, Jack, uh, sorry, uh, forgive me, James, uh, part of that is getting expensively acquired players out of the building. We don't see this. We're not at the training ground, are they? I don't know whether they're kind of miserable figures around the, the, the training ground. And, and Conte will say we're better off just as a group, if not necessarily you know, technically as a team, we're better off as a group just having these people out and bringing in this new blood. I don't know the answer to that either, no. but I mean, reading between the lines, I think you can probably suspect that Conte feels that he would much rather have players who are going to buy into his his way of thinking and his and his style of football. Uh, the Celso wasn't hugely the popular around the place don't. as well. Yeah. So, uh, uh, around the place. Right, why, why, Charlie? Football, you know, football why, now. Charlie? I think he was felt to be a bit aloof um, and unfriendly and... There was a bit of a manifestation of that. Do you remember the the, the legendary um, first leg of the Pacos de Ferreira Conference League qualifier, also known as the lowest of the low? Uh, anyway, he he was one of the kind of first teamers or you know nominal first teamers playing along with a bunch of young guys, and he was kind of rather than encouraging these young bucks who were learning their way, he seemed to be kind of petulantly reacting at them in, in a kind of Cristiano Ronaldo sort of way that I don't think was particularly a uh, good look. Yeah, he does, of course, always have the I play with Lionel Messi card to wave at yeah, people. Yeah, to be fair, you know? he might have been like, I can't believe I've gone from playing with Lionel Messi to playing with these schmoes in the Europa Conference League. But you need to kind of hide that a bit better, don't you? But possibly if he had played as well as he plays with Lionel Messi in a Spurs share, he wouldn't be playing in UEFA Conference League games. Yeah, you make a, a, a very potent point there. Where is the Spurs squad still lacking? I mean, we, we, we alluded to this at the very start of, of, of the podcast, that if you're going to play wing-backs, the manager has to trust them. They're the most, they are the most important people in the team if you're going to play that system in many, many ways. And they haven't done anything about that. Maybe maybe he's going to make the best of Matt Doherty and Ryan Sessegnon. Who knows? Well, yeah. I mean, Regulon's a, a, I think, a, a good option. You, you know, I, I know we've, we've, I think we've disagreed on him, Danny, in the past, but I think he, he does that job pretty well. And then, yeah, I mean, you've got Doherty and Royale, who between, if you could sort of mould those two ah. together, you'd have a pretty good right wing back. But obviously, Doherty's this. Uh, slightly chaotic, charging into the box, gives you a threat that way, but isn't a great defender. Then Royale is a good, solid defender, but he doesn't have much of an attacking threat. So it is just an imperfect uh, an imperfect situation. And, and, and we got a tantalising glimpse in the Leicester game when Doherty came on. They slightly threw caution to the wind, or at least they weren't quite as disciplined as they often are. And you had that twin threat on the left and the right. And it was like, oh yeah, you can have a threat on both sides. That option is available. But I don't know how much... Doherty's going to start and also how effective he'll be in you know starting games at home say against teams who sit deep but well yeah we'll have to see I mean there's, there's mad speculation of course but you know the the chaos that Doherty caused in that I mean and that's we're clutching on to that last 20 minutes against Leicester because that's all we've seen of him doing what he did so effectively for Wolverhampton Wanderers for two well nearly three seasons actually including the season in the in the championship unfortunately the place he the place he ends up is exactly where uh, Kuliszewski gets his goal from. Uh, yeah. So they'd be literally running into each other in, in that exact spot in the, uh, the, the the corner of the penalty area. But actually, it would be a good problem to have too many players arriving in the penalty area compared to some hmm. of the stuff we've seen over the past couple of years. Um, where else could they have improved, do you think, uh, James? Um, or, or is this just, you know, building ourselves up for the next transfer window, which, God forbid, oh, yeah, exactly. is yeah, still yeah. six Let, months away? Let's not talk about the summer transfer window. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you hit the nail on the head really before left-sided centre-back. You know, and Ben Davis has obviously done done very well this season, and it doesn't feel like as 
desperate a need as it did maybe uh, when Conte took over. But I suspect they'll still be looking ideally for someone in that position. The number eight that we talked about, a creative midfield player, one way or another, I think they're going to want someone with a bit more quality. I mean, Charlie mentioned Ericsson. I I don't think that's ever going to happen. But as someone in that mould who can run a game, they're definitely going to want someone like that. Another centre forward? It wouldn't be a transfer window if we weren't saying that, and that does feel mad. I mean, I think Kulusevski plays up front for Sweden sometimes in a two. Yeah, he does, yeah. Uh, And obviously Son can play as a forward and Bergvine. The emergency centre-forwards break glass in case of injury. (laughs) Are you mad? Sure, but I think if you're playing this system, I think actually Son playing as a central striker isn't as big a thing, and Kulusevski is big as well. And this is quite basic, but having a six-foot-two bloke who can play with his back to goal a bit can hold players off. I mean, like like I say, I mean, I don't know that he's necessarily the most physical bloke, but I think he has the physicality to do it. So I'd be less worried about that now, but I think they still are going to want to do it. And the right wing back is the one, isn't it? I mean, I just can't, I can't see that they're going to go into the next season with Bergfart, with uh, Royale and um, no. Doherty as the option. So. I mean, the thing that occurred to me late last night, I did spend a lot of time um, stroking my chin and thinking about these things once the window <clears throat> slammed shut was there's a ghost at this feast and he's not far away from being fit. And that's Christian Romero. Mm. Um, if he's not going to turn out to be the defensive Lo Celso, that is a huge upgrade. He's done nothing. We've we, you know, yeah. we hardly seen him between he's played twice international under duty, Conte. injuries and COVID. Um, he, he's played twice under Antonio Conte. Once in the league. I also think that his uh, plan to rush out and confront all strikers halfway between the penalty area and the halfway line may not suit Conte either. But I think... I think he's a talented enough guy that he will be a allow Spurs to upgrade. I mean, I can see a combination of, of Davis, Romero, and Dyer, or even um, you know, and I, I, I don't give up on, on Sanchez in, in this in this scenario. I mean, why is Joe Roden still at the club if he doesn't fancy him? That's another question that doesn't get answered. Romero's return, I think, is very very important here as well. I think it will feel like a better looking football team with the additions. And with Romero, if he's fit and firing and getting you know really into it, I think that I think I, I have some optimism that we'll look like a compact group of footballers with two or three fantastic forwards uh, to take us into into the second half of the season. Well, also, and, and it's not just from a defensive sense, but from an offensive sense, uh, Romero, you'd hope, can do a bit of what Davis has done on the left, getting forward into those areas that opposition teams don't really know what they're how to deal with that because Davinson Sanchez has tried that and, it, and he's done it okay in some games like Watford where they basically were just like come on in come on into our penalty area with the ball you know they were pretty comfortable and he, he did make some good forward runs hopefully having Romero back gives him a bit more thrust on that right hand side and goes some way to making up for the fact that Royale as we've said many times is not the most offensive of wingbacks. Davinson uh, has got into those positions. You're absolutely right. I've noticed it too. You know, his heat map is very different from the way mm. uh, he would have been playing uh, a year ago. His, his ball distribution, his passing just is not up to um, the kind of low block that we see teams trying to deal with out on the edge of the penalty area. Hence Watford inviting him forward. You know, when he was playing for Ajax, it, it was well known that teams would force Ajax to challenge Mourinho the ball famously through him. identified that, didn't he? Uh, he did indeed. All right, that's Spurs dissected and diced in different ways. Of course, everything that football clubs do happens in relation to their immediate rivals, whether you're at the bottom of the uh, of the league and you're Newcastle and you're buying your way out of trouble, literally by buying up the opposition's players, or whether you're Spurs, whose immediate rivals for that fourth place, let's, be, let's try and 
not be disrespectful to Wolves, Aston Villa or uh, Leicester City, are Manchester United, West Ham and Arsenal, who have all done spectacularly nothing in this transfer window. <laughs> all gone backwards nothing. in Arsenal's case. You could, you could definitely argue that. They've done nothing. So are Spurs in a position now uh, in the second half of the season to do what would have been the bare minimum in the mind of Levy when he appointed, uh, not Nuno, but when he appointed Conte, <laughs> are they in a, in a uh, position to make some kind of fist of, a, of, a, of finishing fourth in the, in the league, Charlie? Yeah, 100%. They were in a position to do that anyway. I mean, the league table as it stands makes for a pretty decent reading. So even if all the teams remained as they were, I think Spurs would have had a reasonable chance. Throw in the fact that, as you say, none of their rivals have strengthened. Spurs have strengthened and brought in two players who could go into their first team, which is... I don't see. I don't think many other clubs, you know, obviously Newcastle and reception. There aren't that many clubs that would have done that in January. They're in a very strong position, and I, I don't see. I, I don't think Arsenal or West Ham will finish above them. Then it comes down to United have better players. So do they? It does their manager have enough about him to get them to gel? We don't really know. Whereas we know Conte is a very much a known quantity with proven success in the Premier League. So I, I think Spurs have the edge for fourth. What I would say about Manchester United is I just have a feeling that it could, it could blow up. I, I mean, this in could a easily apply to Spurs as well. In a, ba- in a bad way, I think. <laughs> I, I, defi- I definitely can see, like, like it is kind of bubbling oh, yeah. under Rannick, isn't it? It doesn't feel like it's quite right. And obviously he is an intelligent bloke and knows a lot about the game. But that and being a good football manager are two very, very they different are. things. They are. And if he can't get his message across to that group of players, and he had to do that very quickly, don't forget. And they have improved in the last couple of games, by the way. You know, we've seen the Manchester United under Solskjaer, they went on good runs quite often and then they'd have one bad result and then suddenly mm. it'd just be absolute chaos and carnage. And they'd do absolutely ludicrous things and lose to, you know, 4-1 to Watford as we saw earlier this season or whatever, having looked quite good before that. And I still think they've got that in them. Of those four clubs that we've talked about, I think they're the ones most likely to, say, win 10 games in a row, but also the one most likely to just completely blow up and for it all to go wrong and everyone to be bitching and moaning and for the whole thing to fall apart. And we do, of course, with Manchester United, we have a permanent and continuous and ongoing thermometer um, of how they're feeling, a uh, litmus paper of how they're feeling in the face of Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm. I mean, yeah. if, if six games out, he is scowling at the, at the bench, you'll know that things are going well for Spurs. If he's suddenly wandering about with a hat on the side of his head and braiding flowers through his hair, um, we'll know that uh, all is well at Manchester United. Listen, chaps, it's been absolutely fascinating because like no other transfer window I can remember, and I mean this, I think this one has thrown up more questions than answers. Questions that we hope um, we, we'll be bringing some effort to answer over the coming weeks here on the uh, on the view from the lane. But uh, Really, really fascinating, and I'm, I'm the thing I'm. I'll end my own part by saying is I'll be really interested to see how the team gels spirit-wise because there's a lot to be said about spirit at this stage um, of of a very complicated season for footballers. Having got the players that Conti doesn't want out of the car park for six months, it'll be fascinating to see if he can then produce that iron team spirit that he's done at Chelsea and latterly at Inter Milan as well in recent times. Absolutely, just can't wait for them to start kicking off. Of course, we'll lose to Brighton in the cup and I'll have another completely different story. (laughs) 
Thank you both very, very much uh, for your views so far. And if uh, you, our, our beloved listeners uh, and subscribers, are not already a subscriber to The Athletic, uh, you can read all of Charlie and, and the, all the other articles on Spurs and as well as everything else that's on the site. It's a vast amount of stuff to get through by going to theathletic.com uh, forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can get a full uh, 33% off a full subscription. We'll be back on Thursday to build up to uh, the first uh, Spurs game in a fortnight. Can you believe that? Thank you all for listening. The Athletic.